Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast, where we focus on millennial personal development, getting your life to the next level 1% at a time. It's your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, and uh, it's the first day of the month. The birds are chirping, the sun's shining, and we got another great interview for you today. So I'm fired up to talk about Yogi Roth, and, and we'll get to him in a second. But you know, first things first, want to give the fan of the week uh, to my friend Michael Gervais. Um, he is a former guest. I'm you know, borderline obsessed with his podcast, Finding Mastery. You should definitely check that out if you haven't yet. Um, but he actually introed me to Yogi. Um, and they they worked together for a long time, and we get into that a little bit in the interview. But thanks so much for the for the uh, the hat tip there, Mike, for the intro. Um, keep putting out great content. Follow that guy if you are not already. Um, and I want to get straight into talking about Yogi Roth because I'm really excited for this one. Um, he's a hard guy to pinpoint. When Mike first introed me to him, I I didn't really I didn't really know what to think. Uh, he's got he has so many different levels to him um and you know he was a walk on turned full scholarship wide receiver at Pitt and you know he grinded his way through that went over to southern california to be an assistant coach over at USC during the heyday i mean like Pete Carroll Matt Leiner Mark Sanchez, Reggie Bush, those types of days, right? I mean, he was in the heyday of it. And, um, you know, ended up being really close with Pete, rose through the ranks, helped Pete write his book, Win Forever, uh, helped launch a company also called Win Forever with Pete. Uh, So he's tight with Pete Carroll. He's got, you know, he's close with some, you know, directors and executives over at Nike. He's a college football analyst for the Pac-12 Network. Um, he's a writer, he's a documentary producer, he's a world traveler, um, it, the guy does it all, and so it's it's hard to intro him, it's hard for himself to introduce himself to people, I'm sure, but, you know, something that's really clear about him is his mission, and it's to seek and uncover the humanity in sports around the globe through storytelling, so... Everything that he does ties back to that. You know, why is he a college analyst? Why does he travel the world? Why does he write? Why does he produce documentaries? All of this is really tied back to his mission that he spent a lot of time. He did the lonely work um, to understand. So he really knows, not only does he know that, but he you could just get a sense from him that he's very authentic, knows himself. He's a grinder. He's driven. Um, so it's a really cool conversation that we we cover off on a lot of topics. I mean, we talk about you know his mantra. We talk about how you can recruit a mentor. Uh, he calls it his life board of directions. Uh, excuse me, board of directors. Um, visualization, you know, some of that heady stuff. But then you know we also get into you know how can you be authentic and how do you be yourself and. You know, I open up and we get a little bit deep on that towards the end of the episode about, you know, where I've been struggling with that type of stuff. And um, you know, I think it's just a really cool interview that spans the the gamut of, all right, we're going to start, you know, really intense, hectic college football, the ultimate alpha situation. How did he get to the top? He has a stapler rule that I love. And then like we, we wean off into meditation and visualization. So we, we cover a lot of topics here. I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to get you into this interview. I really hope you enjoy it. Check out Yogi. 
um, on his site and, and on uh, social media. And if you like the episode, let me know. Hit me up, TomAlamo.com, Tommy Tahoe, all over social media. Enjoy this episode. Let's make this the best August in the history of August. Let's do it. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And um, you know, you're you're someone. You probably get this a lot, but you're someone that's kind of hard to introduce and give a background on. Like you're analyst slash traveler slash writer slash documentary creator slash all these different things. Like. How do, how would you describe yourself, and how do you, how do you introduce like what you do to people? Yeah, no, it's always been a challenge to do that, um, and it's always been frustrating. I think when people have said, "Yeah, I don't really know how to figure him out," you know, and I'm like, well, "What do you what do you mean?" You know, and uh, so so for me, I, I've gotten to work on that because that's a truth that has that has come out a lot, and and how I would describe myself is. My goal is to seek and uncover the humanity in sports around the globe, you know, and I want to do that through story. I want to do it through games and everything I do goes through that lens. So is that, and that actually brings up one of the things I want to talk about. You, you put, at least it looks like in some of your Instagrams or tweets, like seek and enjoy, or maybe it's seek and uncover. Like, is that, is that kind of like the life philosophy that you have that kind of guides your path and, and the things that you do? Yeah, you know, I think as I've gotten older, man, I'm down with this idea of like recruiting your mentors, you know, so uh, one of mine is, a, I have two people I call on my board of life. One is a guy named Kevin Carroll, who wrote the book, The Rules of the Red Rubber Ball. In my 30s, these two men have become this for me. And the other one is a, is a man named Ken Black. Uh, both of those guys have worked at Nike. Ken worked for the better part of 25 plus years in innovation, in marketing, uh, in design thinking. And I went up to him one day, and I've known him for over, both of them for over a decade now. And I went to Ken and I said, if I was a shoe, how would you begin the process of marketing, branding, selling? Like if I was going to sell my content, right? And it began this great conversation that now happens almost once per week where we dive into it. And where I, along that process, I fell in love with the word seek. You know, throughout my career, I think I've been around a lot of words, right? You know, as an athlete, there's there's always phrases that you put on the wall, you know, and I was part of one of the more popular ones in college football history with Coach Carroll, and his was always compete and win forever. And there were phrases I always aligned with, um, but they weren't mine um, in terms of I, I never originated that thought from within me. I, I gleaned onto that thought and was taught the principles around that type of philosophy and love it and will we'll champion it for the rest of my life. But what I fell into was this idea that we're all seekers and we're seeking a partner. We're seeking, you know, if you believe in like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, water, and shelter, you know, we're seeking at least uh, sports or competition or creativity, um, a better job, a better play. We're always seeking. And I think that's a word that regardless of who you are, where you come from, what color you are, what your God is, um, how much money you make, like we're all seeking, right? Maybe it's just, it's a simple smile or maybe it's a wave. Um, or maybe it's just a, a good movie. You know, it doesn't have to be this intense word. And I've really enjoyed that. And what can open my eyes to is that, yeah, you are. You're on this path of seeking as an explorer, as an adventurer, as a traveler. Uh, but what he received, if he was marketing me like a shoe, was that I was always enjoying it. And I think people have always described me as really positive. So that that phrase came out of that type of brainstorm of, yeah, uh, 
seek and enjoy. Like that's the that's the goal in life is to chase things down that you you desire to learn so you can give them away and make your community better, you know, when you leave than when you got there and make sure you're doing it with a smile on the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of equate it to like, you know, always having a growth mindset too. And like on the enjoy side, like being present, you know, like wherever you are, whatever you're doing at that moment, you're there and you're enjoying it. And, um, you know, you're fully present in the moment. That's, I think that's powerful. And then it like, depending on what you want to do career wise, like at that given time, if it's a, a film or, you know, say it's, you know, you're working on a documentary, like, all right, am I, is it something that I really want to seek out and am I joy, enjoying myself? And if not, maybe this isn't the right project for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great point, man. And, and I love your, your, your podcasting conversations because of that. And I think too often, um, you know, I, I know I went through this and I was, I remember I was 19 and if there was like a piece of advice I, I would always want to share from my life to a millennial, uh, it was when I was with coach Carol, we were at dinner and he goes, what do you want to do in your life? And I said, I want to influence the world in a really cool way. And he looks at me and smirks and he goes, okay. He goes, all right, for real. He goes, then uh, all you got to do is create value. He goes, don't worry, quote, don't worry about climbing the ladders of success rung by rung. Just create value wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And before you know it, you'll start to leapfrog the competition. And that stuck with me so much so that three years after that, I had finished playing and I was on his staff and I was stapling practice scripts. And my goal was to like literally be the best stapler of practice scripts on earth because the whole concept of creating value was imprinted on my DNA now. And it was a part of everything of like, it's not about the art or act of, you know, this mundane task that anybody can do. It's owning this task and creating value in this task. And what it, what it did is, you know, that bled over to the way you do small things is the way you do all things. You know, our, our friend, Mike Gervais, Dr. Gervais says that, um, which I've totally stealing and hijacked and, and use all the time, um, but credit him, but it, it, it's true. And I think as a young guy, Pete noticed that after he taught me that principle. And it's why I kept, you know, moving in that profession of the coaching community on the staff at SC is because you, you, you can't be big time the day somebody says, hey, here's a seat in the big kid chair. You've got to think that way and apply your approach and your character traits and your skill set that way, no matter what you're doing. And it's, it's part of the, the joy, I think, for me now being a little older and going to college campuses and watching practices and watching the backup quarterback or watching how, you know, a freshman who has got 40,000 Instagram followers, but is redshirting how he treats, you know, the individual who's working, you know, the food in the cafeteria. I mean, th that, that one convo at 19 impacted me in such a way that I've always said a stapler changed my life. That's so interesting. And um, I'm glad you brought it to, to Pete um, because his philosophy on always compete and his specifically the, the commencement speech, I've talked about this a few times, the commencement speech he gave at USC, uh, it's called always compete. It's like 20 minutes on YouTube. It has like 2000 views. And I think I'm like 1500 of those. It's so good. <laughs> um, and I just like, it fires me up. Like if I'm, if I need that extra push or anything like that, I, I that's my go-to. And so I wanted to, when I was reading more about you and, and digging in, uh, you know, I saw how you, uh, you joined USC uh, post-college as, uh, you know, the coaching staff, worked your way up to the quarterback's coach. But then, like, you also uh, had such a relationship with Pete that you 
co-wrote his book win forever and then you started a company with him and and i assume like there was a really strong relationship so i'd love to hear from your perspective um and maybe that value piece was you know the number one driver but like how did you form out of all the people that are vying for his attention all the people that the great staff members that they have and all of the the talent around him like how did you stand out to him i i, I don't know i mean i think you'd of course, you maybe ask him that, but I think where Pete and I linked, and I think what he would tell you is that we're we're kindred spirits in terms of how we approach our life, right? Both chip on the shoulder athletes, both undersized, but fought our tails off, you know, you know, to, to play. He was that undersized safety, you know. I was a walk on who earned a scholarship, you know. I so said I think they're that, you know. We would both say that like we'll you can't beat us because we just won't stop. You know, our competitive temperament is one that has great capacity and also, I think, uh, a lot of empathy. And I think as guys who grew up in a singular, with, with, with a love for a singular sport such as football, which requires all of your heart and all of your soul when you're coaching it or you're playing it, we also made sure that, you know, he taught me the phrase, but, you know, enjoying the, the space between the notes, you know? So for instance, if I'm on the piano and I hit boom, before I hit the next note, that sound is still going. You know, sometimes you can say, what is the next note I need to go hit, right? If you've ever played the piano or taken a lesson, it's okay, it's this chord, I gotta hit this next chord versus like, let me sit in this chord for a little while. And I think what Pete verbalized is something that I had always done is making, made sure that you enjoyed if it's a small space or if it's in terms of a 15-minute window, you can go get a quick workout in. Or if it's a month where you can go to Hawaii or go to San Sebastian, Spain or something like that to, to really sit in and enjoy that. And I think we're similar there, you know, as explorers and guys that backs are against the wall, didn't have famous parents, didn't have anything given to us. We fought our ass off for everything that uh, we've been lucky to, to attempt. And I think we align there, you know, and a lot of competitors, I think, would say that they align there. But I think for us, no, we had a mindset that from that first dinner I described at 19 until now, our relationship has shifted from mentor to employee to co-founders of a brand to now like we're friends, you know, and that has been really fun to to go from 19 to 36 on an arc with who I believe is one of the I think he's one of the greatest thought leaders of this century, you know. Coaches, I think that's easy for him. I think he's clearly in the conversation, and you know, fan bases would, would dictate probably an opinion on that. But you know, in terms of how he's changed cultures, how his philosophy has changed other teams, like the way Urban Meyer coaches, the way Nick Saban coaches, there's elements of Pete Carroll in all of them, and they would admit that to the way huge companies like Microsoft are run, based on a lot of the principles that you know Pete has embodied throughout his career. I just think he's so unique. Uh, he's the most unique mind I've ever been around. And to get him at that age where he basically took the clay that my parents shaped, he took it and it was like we went into the ceramic studio. You know, he really molded it and then kicked me out at, you know, not literally, but like when I I kicked out at SC at 26 um, and then kicked out on my own even outside of the joint venture that we started because my broadcasting career, uh, you know, has become what it's become it gave me great foundation and great tools that I still go back to now with our calls or our meetings or even some of my journal posts or journal entries that I've written from my time with him. 
Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I think regardless of, you know, whether you're you know, a USC fan or you're a Seahawks fan or or otherwise, or, or you hate them both, um, you have to respect what he's done. And it just seems like I'm taking this from, you know, the limited conversations I've had with, with Mike Gervais and some of the coverage that was in the book Grit that Angela Duckworth wrote um, about some of the Seahawks. But it just seems like he he allows the, his, his team to have fun with what they're doing. And it's not that they're undisciplined and it's not that they're unstructured or they don't care or they're not being competitive. It's actually the opposite. It's like they're, they're having such a good time that it allows them to compete at a high level and stay present and not let, I guess, some of the, the normal panic or normal anxiety of a, of a big stage get in their way. Like, is that, am I right on that about like, is that why he stands out so much? I think what stands out so much for Pete, well, let me, let me rephrase. What, what isn't appreciated about him is how unique he is as a football mind. I've always felt that he's not respected as much as he should be. You know, he's a defensive savant. I mean, this is a guy who was trained by Monty Kiffin, you know, the originator of the Tampa 2 defense, right? In the way we locked teams down at SC and then, of course, what they've done in Seattle, I don't think he's given enough credit there. But it's because of all of his other stuff because it's way more fun to talk about. You know, being a broadcaster, I don't want to talk about Chris Peterson and how brilliant of an offensive mind he is on the Pac-12 Networks. I want to talk about all the stuff he's doing around the character development of his kids. Right? Same thing with Pete. You want to talk about the work he's done in the inner city. You want to talk about, you know, the philanthropy, the businesses, the, the creativity. I mean, this is a guy who's got one of the most neuroagile minds I think in football, right? I mean, he, this is a guy when he was coaching the Jets, he was writing a screenplay, you know, like, come on. Like, I don't know many coaches that are even, that could even tell you the, the, the last screenplay they even watched, let alone read. So I think you start there with him. But what makes him so unique? I think it's his consistency. You know, I think one of his coaches said this a couple of years ago, we were in Seattle and what, what do you think about Pete? You know, they had just gotten, been around him for a year or two. And said he's uncommonly consistent. And uh, I thought that was a great phrase for him. And he's uncommonly consistent in his approach. And his approach is uncommonly positive. It's truth teller. You know, he'll, he'll coach you hard. He'll get on you. You know, we've tell the truth Mondays, right? Of like what really is going on in, with our team, with the game, or if it's your business or your life. And they could be uncomfortable conversations. But he's doing it from the same consistent place that he gave the game-winning you know, speech in the locker room from. And I think that's what, what's made him unique. And I think if you look at any business, leader, et cetera, the minute you're inconsistent, even as a parent, it's mixed messages. And that's where he's brilliant. You know, He walks in every day with an energy that's infectious. And if you don't feel it, something's wrong with you. And if you don't reciprocate that positive mindset, you're probably not going to be around very long. Um, so I think that... He, that's probably the best thing about him, big picture, to answer your question. But there's so many intricacies about him that make him special. And for me, he's the best listener I've ever met. I've always used the phrase in broadcasting, man, uh, listen like your life depends on it. And that came from learning from him because I, I felt like he did that with me all the time. He'd do it with the 12-year-old after practice. He'd do it with the staff. He'd do it with the referees. I mean, he's just a unique listener. And so yeah, obviously I can go on a long, a long time about about Coach Carroll because I I think so highly of him. Yeah, I mean, talking about him and Mike Gervais, and and you mentioned Ken Carroll and Ken Black, and 
I know that you run the Elite 11 with one of the head coaches there is Trent Dilfer. And, you know, the list goes on and on of your really high profile people that are friends and, and mentors to you. I think it's it's a place that as someone that's 25 is, you know, I'm, I'm certainly envious of that. Like, what advice would you give maybe to someone that's younger, maybe just fresh out of college or a few years out that wants to build relationships with those types of people that have the fire in their belly and that can give them that type of advice and help set them on the course. And, um, you know, they're really anxious for that. Like, is there any, any advice as to what you would tell that 22 year old or 25 year old kid that, that wants to build that network and build those relationships? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I love talking about this. I was at a panel the other uh, last summer or around July last year that I moderated at SC with Mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk, which I'm sure you're familiar with him. And I had not, known Gary much and never met him until that day and uh, one of our closing speeches was to the student athletes of and like walk down the hall to your alumni office and in your industry of choice there's probably a lot of people that are doing really well and they want to help you right so it's reminding people that you know you have a network there and he followed up with what I thought was really smart where he goes yeah and they're and they're literally a DM away you know so I think that now more than ever I believe in a recruiting your own mentors. And I think that it's more plausible than ever, right? If you love business and you love surfing, well, you can connect with the founder of Quicksilver, right? Like you can, or because he's retired now, right? And, and maybe that becomes a mentor of yours. Or if you want to connect with someone who's a, you know, a well-known author, a psychologist or a coach or a broadcaster, you can. Now, they're not going to respond to every DM they get, but just like all the coaches that came from nothing and nowhere, they always said the same thing. Yeah, like, you know, I, I slept in my car for two months or, you know, it's that lonely work that uh, we like to utilize that phrase. Like, are you willing to do the boring things longer? Right? Are you willing to write another letter? Are you? I mean, it's not going to happen today. So the blessing and the curse is I can get in anybody in the world right now if they've got a Twitter handle. The curse is I'm trained, especially as a millennial or the age that you referenced, I am trained to get an instant reaction. That ain't going to happen. Like you're not going to get a DM from Pete because he ain't even running his Twitter handle, right? Like, but the, the, the growth mindset that you referenced earlier of, let me set out a game plan. You know, I want to get better as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, and as a, you know, somebody working on their own self-discovery journey cool. Like, let me think of 20 people in each one of those layers that I'm going to go target and go target them, you know, because you don't necessarily need to have the conversation with them right now. You need to consume probably all their content right now. You need to maybe go to one of their events right now. And maybe you've connected with their manager and you get invited backstage right now. And now all of a sudden it's a year and a half later, three years later, and you meet them, but you've done so much work in preparation that away you go. And I, I think that is what I always try to try to tell, you know, people that, that ask that question, because you're right, like, how lucky am I that I stumbled in to have Pete Carroll be a mentor of mine? Ridiculously lucky. I totally get that. But I, I asked for mentorship while I was there, ridiculously. You know, I slept in the office multiple nights a week when I was in graduate school, and that's where we bonded and connected. And clearly, we had a great vibe. But whether I was there for six months in one season, you know, I, I had a chance to go to another team after our first year, or stuck around for four years like I did, you got to take advantage of whatever it is you have when you have it. So I, I would do that. I would be super strategic 
and I would be laser focused on I'm going after these people in, in a positive way, you know, and, and see what happens. Yeah, and well, I mean, you're you're awfully humble. I mean, you're saying you you lucked into Pete Carroll, and, and I guess in a sense, you know, fate put you at USC, but it wasn't like you just rolled off off the street and got in there. Like you said before, you know, you were, um, you know, a walk-on receiver that earned a scholarship and then, you know, earned your way over to USC and had good grades. And then, you know, we're stapling millions of papers together and like you added value and you worked hard and you did the lonely work. So I think it's, I think that's a good idea. You know, the adding value thing is huge. And then, like you said, like maybe, yeah, you list out a few people, five, 10, 15, however many consume a ton of their content. Like, you know, if you like, Michael Gervais or you like Gary Vaynerchuk, whoever it is, well, they have podcasts and they put them out every week or Gary puts them like six out a day. So like go consume it. And then, you know, when you have that opportunity, when they respond to your DM or you see him at a, a, an event or you write them an email and they, they actually respond, like you're coming with, with some, some serious knowledge of, of, um, you know, what they bring to the table. So I think that that's really good advice. Cool. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I wish I kind of knew that. Back in my day, I remember being in, in freshman in college at Pitt, and I was sitting on the bus with our starting quarterback, fifth-year senior, Johnny Terman. And I said, Johnny, give me some uh, advice, man, you know, for my career. You're about to be out of here. And he said, get a business card every single day after practice. And I went and got three. And every Tuesday and Wednesday when our practices were open, I would go meet three different people that I didn't know their face, but they knew me because I was the walk-on receiver who happened to be playing and they wanted to get to know members of the team, and I knew that, and I knew that when I was done with my career, they wouldn't really like they would still support me, but they weren't that interested in me as they were when I was playing. So I went and I did that for four years and built up a network in the city of Pittsburgh um, that got me an internship with the mayor, it got me an internship with a state rep with Fox Sports, and kicked off my my career. And and I always say that like greatness is all around us. You know, greatness is at a coffee shop. Greatness is your neighbor. Greatness is, you know, going to bump into you on the subway or the train. Um, you just sometimes got to take your headphones on and look up and, and be ready to receive it. You know, and Kevin Carroll tells me that all the time. He goes, Yogi, you're always in beta, meaning you're always like, like a website, like you're always working, you're always training, you're always training. And your only job is to prepare to receive it when it comes. And I believe that. I believe that in my personal life. You know, I had to train myself to prepare to be ready when the love of my life showed up, right? Or when the job of my dreams shows shows up, you know? So when it comes, I'm not like, whoa, whoa, whoa what is that? And, and I buy that wholeheartedly, especially in a world where our heads are down and we may be consuming Gary Vee on a podcast, but every once in a while, take it out of your ears and say hi to the barista across the, you know, across the countertop. And and to me, that's where the magic can happen because I, I do think the magic uh, is all around us. Couldn't agree more. I mean, you never know who that person is. Like even at you know an event or even at, like you're saying, like at Starbucks, that person could be, they might be the, the cousin of the person that you've been trying to reach out to for that job or you might meet them and then see them two years later and they know this person. Just like the world is so much smaller than we think. Um, in the day to day and you get caught up in all the social media and I have this due for my job and all that. And it, I think he, it's easy to overlook like the person right next door to you or right next to you on the bus. Like they could be adding some serious value to your life and, and you to theirs. So um, I think that's a good, a good way to keep it in perspective. And you mentioned that I just have a quick question. You mentioned be ready for when that dream job comes up, like based on all the things you're doing, like what's a dream job to you? 
Well, I think I'm living it. I don't think I, I would have said that years ago. Um, I think in my 20s, specifically late 20s when I left coaching, I had a very clear plan of how this would work, mm-hmm. right? It, this would lead to this. I'd be on game day, Good Morning America, Broadway, <laughs> you know, um, and it was all going to happen. And, and it doesn't, you know, and the, the hardest thing for athletes, I think, you know, we often talk about like the athlete when their careers are over, how do they deal with life? I think the hardest part to deal with is not necessarily the identity crisis that happens, which is a big deal. And, and Mike Gervais would tell you so. Um, and I agree with that. But I think the bigger deal is the principles that got us on the field, especially in entertainment, they do not get you jobs, right? Like I was the guy working out at 5 a.m. with the strength shoes, catching a thousand balls after practice, studying more film. And like I was that guy. Um, that doesn't get you better broadcast gigs. It just doesn't. What gets you better broadcast gigs is, you know, making sure that you sleep well, making sure that you're really focused studying elements of your craft, making sure that you're growing your community and your network and knowing where opportunities are to be strategic, creating your own content. You know, so that that was hard for me to deal with when it didn't align beautifully for that dream job. And over the last couple of years, I've settled into what do I want to do? You know, in college football, I have a mantra I say prior to every game, which is, Yogi, your job is to celebrate the game and coach the viewer. And I've said that for the last decade. And I say it because it takes off any pressure to make it about, Yogi, come up with a cool phrase. Make sure you rock a sweet tie. Make sure you make it about you and your partner on air. Like, it ain't about that. You know, it's about the 210 stories on the field, 105 guys on each team. You know, it's about making sure that my mom understands cover two when I'm explaining it on air, you know, and that to me has been a dream to be able to sit on the Pac-12 networks and come into your living room every weekend, every week for a studio show. Like that's a dream job. Now, do I want to call the Rose Bowl? Yeah, that that's a dream of mine. My dream is to, to call that one day, the actual New Year's Day Rose Bowl, and that'll happen. And I treat every game like it's that. You know, our producer would say, Yogi always gets back on the on the microphone before we kick off. And I say, we're calling the natty. <laughs> and I've said it for 10 years now, calling games in, you know, West Texas at Texas Tech or Lawrence, Kansas or Pullman, Washington or, you know, at the Rose Bowl calling UCLA. So when I get there and I call that game, whenever I call that game, because I don't know where that game will even be broadcast when I call that game. It's not going to be that big of a deal because I've, I've trained my mind that I've already done it you know, over a hundred times now in my career. So dream job to me would be call the Rose Bowl um, to answer your question. And then I do want some sort of uh, my own show. You know, I have that with my podcast. I'd love to do sport and travel and the power of play and the power of, you know, what a ball can do. I believe in the phrase, we all speak ball and that a ball can cut through color, race, creed, religion, can cut through anything. So there's, there's content around that, that of course I'm working on and have done some of in other countries, but I think I'm living, you know, in a, in a, I'm in a great place right now, man. And I feel as happy as I've ever felt. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and I love that you were talking about some of the visualization. Um, and that's a piece that I think is so important, no matter what you're doing, whether you are doing your, whether you're a college football analyst or whether you're, um, you're trying to get better at your, you know, I'm in sales. So at your sales job or as a podcast host or whatever, like, you know, trying making sure you're visualizing um, the moment. So when you get to that moment, you've already done it in your head a thousand times. I'd, I'd be curious to hear some specifics on 
how how specifically you use visualization or goal setting or other mental tricks and tactics that uh, put you at your A game? It's a huge part. You know, I remember calling my mom maybe a year ago and I said, Mom, have you have you heard about this guy, Thich Nhat Hanh? You know, he's the guru in the art of mindfulness. And she goes, Yogi, for real? I was like, yeah. She goes, I've been telling you about him since you were six. <laughs> and uh, I, I did the same thing. I had the same reaction where I chuckled and laughed. And both my parents being therapists, I've been around the idea of visualization my whole life. You know, when I was in high school, I remember I would lay in bed on Thursday nights for a Friday night game. And I would visualize the game. And I would never get out of the, uh, I would never get into the third quarter. Because in my mind, I had, you know, we were up by so many at halftime that I didn't play in the second half. Like I remember that clear as day was my visualization, right? Which is kind of goofy and funny, but it's totally true. Same, same deal now. You know, when I go in training camp, I'll go in, in, in all of August and hit you know, the majority of the Pac-12 schools. I'll, I'll call the game on the sideline. You'll see me underneath the goalpost watching and taking notes and watching the team perform. And I'm practicing my craft. You know, football is such a beautiful game. I think it's the greatest game on earth. And you only get 12 of them, you know, as a broadcaster. Like, whoa, like that's, that's miserable. Like I want 1,200 of them. You know, I want as many as we could get, but you only get 12. So you got you to prepare for them. You know, you, you don't want to, you don't get three warm-up games, you know. If so, you've lost a third of your season or a fourth of your season. So I, I do a lot of that on site. I meditate every morning for the most part, um, unless I'm like going to miss a flight. But usually I get up and, and do that. And it could be anywhere from 30 seconds to 15 minutes. And I tried it. How does that look? Like what, what process do you do for that? Yeah. So I have, uh, based on when I get up, uh, the first thing I do is I've got this really cool like red rug and I love the color red and red is supposed to protect you from anything evil, right? At least according to like Kabbalah, right? Um, and, you know, coming from a Middle Eastern background of, I, 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 I appreciate that. Um, I put my feet on that um, and I try to really be grounded and my phrase is, you know, be where your feet are. And then I say, really a form of the following after I, you know, I take my, depending on the time, uh, anywhere from 10 to 100 breaths, you know, they're really purposeful, one breath, one thought, one breath, one thought. Um, and that thought sometimes could just be the breath. And then I kind of say the same mantra that I've said really over the last two plus years now of, you know, uh, my, my goal is to, uh, to love in life. I think that's what life is all about. Um, it's to give but also learn and keep working on how to receive. That had been an issue for me for a long time of, hey man, like it's a two-way street, you know, like receive. To show up to me, to be a man is to that. Uh, I think you have to. I, I hadn't done that many times in my life or in previous relationships. Uh, and I made a big commitment to that when I, I, I was part of a film called Protector, which was about sexual violence on college campuses and talking to young men about you know, what it means to be a real man. And I was like, well, I better be able to define it if I'm going to talk about it. And to me, you got to be able to show up. And the last piece that I meditate on is remaining vulnerable. Um, and that's changed from being, be vulnerable to remain vulnerable, um, which has been a, a process. And, and those are the four big thoughts that I have that start every one of my days uh, for the most part. I think about them when I'm in the ocean. I think about them in yoga class. I think about them when I wake up. And they're super specific for me because I believe the language of the world is love. I've always wanted to give. And I get asked a lot of times, what's your best piece of advice you can give someone? I say it's to give everything away. But I had learned over the last year or two that to give anything, you got to gain something. So you got to be able to receive it. So when you go out and interview somebody, you drop a new community, 
what are you what are you learning and seeking and you know gulping up and receiving from this community and then put it into your brain and your soul into your heart into your mind into your body choreograph it curate it edit it however you want and give it away that's a real purposeful thought for me showing up is what you'd imagine and the vulnerability i think as a storyteller is huge you know uh and it's not just you know can you cry like that happens to me all the time but being vulnerable and understanding and that goes back to Thich Nhat Hanh if you don't know him check him out uh, he just did a great podcast with with Oprah on her super soul conversation but he's been out forever and he, how do you spell that sorry uh, I believe it's T I don't know the book in front of me T-H-I-C-H N-A-H-N-A-H-T N-A-H-N yeah yeah T-H-I-C-H Thich and then Nhat is N-H-A-T and Han is H-A-N-H. Uh, and he's the guru in the art of, art of mindfulness. You know, I've been reading him my whole life. Wasn't aware of it, that it was happening my whole life until a couple of years ago. And I'm on it, you know, like he's uh, in terms of on his content. It, it's great. It's really cool. It's really simple. It's easily re- relatable. And I, and I love everything about what he talks about. And it's fun. Maybe you should check out some of his books. They're, they're a blast to read. Yeah, no, I, I write it down. I definitely want to. So you, and so you say one of those four phrases you're saying like with each breath is pretty much it. And then that, that's kind of what, that's kind of your anchor in the morning. And that's what, what grounds you. And then from there, every day is different, I'm sure. But you, you have that as the consistent habit that you, that you do and, and it puts you in the right mindset. Yeah. And, and there's fun little different types of meditation, right? Like you can do it when you're talking to somebody and you know, that you could look at uh, the eyeball you look at the color in the eye and then there's like this white reflection, you know, if light is mm-hmm. hitting their eye, like there's, there's mindfulness tactics there. And, and I'll play around with them. I, mean, I think the fun part of, of, you know, you, you dive into like the Buddhist culture, there's a playfulness to it, right? Or even mindset training, there's a playfulness to it. And I think I would describe it as a joy to it, you know, and you, and you all, it's kind of like when you have a conversation with somebody and like they're up to something, right? It's like a three-year-old, like, what are you up to? You know, and they get a little smirk. I think it's the same thing with, with a lot of this work is like, have fun with it, stretch with it, you know? So to me, uh, it, it's your own mind, you know, like it, it might as well, again, back to seek and enjoy, like you might as well have a blast. With it. I think, you know, one of the biggest crocs is like how serious meditation needs to be and how intense mindfulness training needs to be. Like it's your mind. Like your job is to get to know it as well as you can. Right. And if you're a serious cat, like, cool, be that. If you're a goofy dude, cool. Like whatever it is, like get to know it so well. It's like the body is an athlete. You know, I love being an athlete because I, I know my body so well because we, you have to. So like surfing so fun. Like you, you know the surface of your feet on the waves or yoga is so fun because you got to stand on one leg all the time and your foot is firing in different ways. Why not the mind and the body be the same thing when we're talking about our own personal development? And that's why I love broadcasting, right? Like Athletes know themselves so well. So when you see somebody coming back from an injury, it's so fun to watch themselves and course correct along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting, um, like tr- thinking about training the mind. And it wasn't something that was even slightly on my radar until, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And now you know, I'm trying to learn more about it. And I think for people that have just started meditation or have ever done it, I think you spoke very true words about it, it, at least for me, kind of seemed like a chore at first. So it's like, all right, I'm going to do this every day for 10 minutes. 
it was something that was stressing me out. Like, oh, it's another thing I have to do to add to my morning routine and it's going to make me late. And like, that's like so the opposite mindset of what the whole purpose is. The whole purpose is like, um, is not is to understand where your thoughts are and understand like why you're having those thoughts and to just try to get to know yourself better versus like trying to add another thing on your to-do list and like saying I meditate just to say you did it and like to put that on your resume or whatever in your Twitter bio. So I think it's, I think that was, that was some pretty tactical advice that, which is helpful. And something that's, that is apparent to me when I'm doing, when I was doing some of the research and it's even more apparent now that we're talking is they just seem like someone that knows yourself vulnerable. And like, it's, it's hard for me to describe, but the way that you, when you say a sentence, I just, I'm not questioning whether it, you know, it's BS or not. I just, have a trust that what you're saying is is the truth uh for good or for bad and like i'd love to hear how that came to be um whether it's some of this mindfulness or i want to talk about the travel maybe it happened through all the the traveling you've done or from your therapist parents or maybe it's a whole big stew of everything but um getting to know yourself better for the good and the bad i think is such a huge thing so i'd love to hear your your take on that yeah well there's there's a fun story about it i remember being maybe 24, 25, and we're at a coach's retreat uh, for, for SC. And one of our coaches says, hey, Pete, how do we want our players to leave our program? And he goes, well, how do you want them to leave the program? And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, all right, everybody pull out a pen and a paper and, and write down how you want your position group to leave this program. And cool, knocked it out. I wrote mine down sat there for a second, I erased it, or crossed it off, and they wrote another one down. And he was watching, and he goes, yo, what'd you write? And I said, I want him to leave a 65% completion percentage, uh, Heisman Trophy winners, All-Americans, uh, if they graduate, if they make it the whole time, um, and top five draft picks. And he goes, okay. He goes, what'd you cross out? And I went beat red. <laughs> and I said, um, I wrote Dreamers. And he goes, yeah. He goes, because that's the closest thing to you. And and the conversation ensued and it was all about like people are going to feel the purest form of you. So make sure you know it. And the work that, you know, he embodied baseline, you know, and, and anyone would tell you this, whether it was Lane or Sark or myself or anyone with the Seahawks um, or any coach that's ever been with him is that he wants you to go through the process of self-discovery. And I, that, that to me was not a foreign concept, but it led me down a rabbit's hole that I revisited every year. You know, excuse me, I revisit my approach, my style, my vision, my theme, like how I want to attack life, how I would say it in 25 words or less. I mean, that to me is like the lonely work that is required to be on, as Gervais might say, your razor's edge, right? To be on, to be at your best self, you got to know yourself the best, right? It's like in Hollywood, you pitch shows all the time. And when you pitch a show, one of the most awkward questions, but best questions is, why would anybody watch it, right? And if you as the, the, the de- developer of that show can't answer that, show's usually dead, right? So why would I hire you? Like, why would I want you on this team? Not, not in a condescending way, but like, why do you make us better, you know? And that's a really hard question to answer because we all want to, we don't want to humble brag or we don't want to live that world, but you're just trying to find your truth. Right. So what is your truth? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you want to work on? You know, I look at my whiteboard right now and, you know, it's it's about going to work. I'm coming on the last. I got one more week of what I do every offseason, which is like mm-hmm. true deep dive of 
what do I want the football season to be like? And then I hit gas and I go, you know, what are the lens I'm going to see this game and how am I going to improve? I go back and watch the games, et cetera, and do the work to, to know my voice. You know, the, the, the simple exercise is how many people in the room or listening would raise their hand if they said they feel uncomfortable when they listen to their own voicemail or if they watch themselves on a TV screen. Most hands go up, right? And that's because you're not that comfortable with your voice, which is very fair because everybody's career isn't in performance. But we should all be the most comfortable in our skin, in our voice. And, and that's the work that mm. um, I think you have to do when your career is on camera. And also I was nudged to do, obviously, from Pete at a young age. And it's really enjoyable. Like, who doesn't want to work on themselves and get better? You know, when you, when, you, when you frame it like that, let's go learn about and feel comfortable with my voice. But if you said, hey, I've got to go give 10 speeches a day to get comfortable, nobody wants to sign up for that. Uh, so I, I think it, it's nothing special in terms of the work I've done to get to know myself. It's just the fun work. And I think back to an original question you had, I've tried to curate my community with, you know, I don't have a lot of like just throwaway convos and and that my friends would bust me about it they'd be like we got to go deep with yoga you know or like you're always gonna like i might ask i'm gonna ask you what makes you feel most alive or something like that because there's not enough time to not go there right and at least in my eyes and i don't think that's intense i think that's purposeful and i think that's fun yeah life's important to talk about the weather yeah and and i got no problem talking about the weather but the follow-up is like can we surf tomorrow you know, <laughs> because surfing is going to make us better. And, and I don't think that's, I, I don't know what I think that is, but I, I do believe this. I remember when Pete told me this, he said, when you accept who you are, right, and you embrace it, specifically if you're a competitive individual, look out because it could be a sickness. And what Mike's follow-up would say that or my mom's follow-up would say that or what they teach you in rehab is Invite that voice into the room, but learn how to pet it. You know, invite that competitive temperament into your world, but learn how to talk to it. Because we all have a dark side. We all have a side that is uberly on or is uber motivated or can be jealous or frustrated or whatever. Like when that happens, invite it in the room and learn how to pet it. And that to me is where like, I love that phrase because that's that's the work versus freak out and throw a chair onto the basketball court, right? Or freak out and say something you regret. You know, no, no, I, I'm frustrated right now. I'm not happy. I need to deal with this. Okay, we all have moments like that. And I think that's, that's really where I, I'd probably net out on, on how do you get to know yourself is you get to know the dark side as well. And, and when it's there, you're, you're very aware of it and you learn how to talk to it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge too to, um, to be authentic. Like, just be truthful, like wh whatever you're thinking. Like I, I remember for myself, you know, I'm not a guy that goes out and like, you know, goes and, and gets fucked up on a Friday night. Like, you know, when I was, you know, a couple of years ago, like that was what I did all the time. And that was kind of my life. And then, you know, when I moved to California, I, I made a mental shift and it's like, you know, maybe I'm going to spend my Friday night, like, uh, you know, uh, doing some uh, research for the podcast interview I have next week, or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do whatever a normal person quote unquote might do when someone asks on Monday, like, Oh, what'd you do this weekend? It's like, um, Oh, like nothing. Like, you know, kind of like being shy about it and not talking about it. But now it's like, Oh no, like, you know, I had a podcast interview. It was cool. 
or, you know, I read this book or, you know, I went on a hike or I meditated or I learned how to do this or I screwed up cooking dinner or whatever, like just being open about it and like not always trying to be like everyone else, I think. And that's been a big thing for me last few years. And something I still try to work on too, is because I think it's, there's that intimidation factor of, you know, are, are people going to accept me for what I think or the way I do things that are different? Um, but I, but the people that I like the most, whether I know them personally or just through, you know, I, I watch them or I, I know of them are the people that are truly authentic and they're, they are themselves. Um, and so I think that's just maybe a, a quick, uh, a quick anecdote on that. Yeah. Well, you know what, dude, I, cause I remember going through that too of like, living in Hermosa Beach when I was 20, in my early 20s. And, you, you know, you're in a cool city too. And, you know, you go out and you have a blast. And I had a freaking awesome time. But you, you start to feel, I, I don't know the science mind, but I feel that there's like a chemical shift that happens as men get older. And it's, okay, that was fun. Um, I don't really want to do that. Like, I want to wake up in the morning and, and go for a hike, right? Or I want to go see this really rad movie. And, and, and your world shifts and not that you asked my opinion on it, but for, for a guy that totally lived that in LA at the height of college football in this town, arguably ever and entertainment, when that shift started to happen for me, I, I, I tried to be really conscious of just, I, I didn't know what was going on, but looking back, I wish I probably embraced it more. Mm-hmm. I was like, cool, man. Like something's happening. You know, I'm not really sure what versus like, whoa, what's happening? How come I don't want to go out on Friday anymore? Uh, like I used to. My, my, I want to go to dinner now. I don't want to go out and, you know, take a couple shots and dance all night long. Like, wh- whatever it is, I wish I I embraced that more and I welcome that more because because that is the shift. Like same thing happens when you want kids or you want to have a partner. I feel that now of like, yeah, that shift is happening and it's really cool and I'm embracing it versus whoa 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 what what is happening to me right now. And I think there's moments, and everybody's different time-wise, but 25 is definitely a moment, right? 30, 32, 35, I think those, give or take a couple months, I think those are moments in our life where we shift. And uh, I think being aware of that like you are is, is just awesome and enjoy and celebrate them. That's really cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tough. And you know, you you kind of enter new circles and leave others on your way. But I mean, that's that's part of life. And like, like you said, I mean, life's too short to, you know, not be yourself and not do what you want to do. So yeah, I feel that a lot. And, um, you know, I, I want to make a quick, a quick pivot. I know we're running a little low on time and I really, uh, I really wanted to get into, um, you know, your documentary. I, I watched it last weekend was, was father's day and I watched it on, on Friday night. Um, doing some research for the podcast, kind of what we're talking about. Um, but it was, for for those that that haven't seen it, you, you should go see it on iTunes or if you have Amazon Prime, it's it's free if you have it. It's called Life in a Walk, and you know essentially, obviously, you can tell the story better than I can. But you know, you have you've had a really close relationship with your dad. Um, you know, he battled, um, I think it was prostate cancer. You know, you you kind of had to question yourself, like, you know, how many more times am I going to see my dad and have conversations, and before it's too late, and I don't want to not ask certain questions or have those experiences. And so you just kind of bought plane tickets and went this epic voyage through Portugal and Spain. And I'd love to just hear like, what, what is your um, reaction maybe a few years after it? How awesome of an experience was that? Yeah. Well, thank you for watching it. And especially, you know, you watched it Father's Day weekend. It was pretty cool. And uh, I don't know the relationship you have with with your folks, but 
for me, it was a life changer. You know, you learn in the film the story, long and short of it, my dad had gotten sick years earlier and I had never processed it. So the kind of the point of a lot of what we're talking about, you know, when, when things come across your desk, we can either put them in the pile of get to it later or we can deal with it. And and I wasn't good at dealing with it. I, I wasn't good at showing up. You know, I wasn't good at being vulnerable, let alone remaining vulnerable. I knew how to love a sport, but I didn't really know how to love anything else. And it hit me between the eyes that I didn't deal with this. And I was never going to say the sentence, I wish I spent more time with my dad. Uh, so I literally flew home and asked him to go for a walk. He said, sure, thinking we'd be in Brooklyn and go for a walk at Prospect Park because we were visiting uh, his daughter, my sister at the time. And uh, I said, no, no, I got you a plane ticket. Uh, we're going to Spain in two weeks. We're going to walk the Camino de Santiago, one of the most famous you know, pilgrimages or, or walks on earth. And uh, he was in, and away we went. And I thought it would be a home movie at first. You know, I didn't know what it would be. And every day we'd sit him down and interview him about a different decade of his life. And we'd kind of follow us along. And when I came home and started to edit it, uh, it hit me. I was like, I, I think this is going to be really cool, you know, for my, my family. And then when we put the trailer on YouTube, just to see what would happen, it went nuts. I mean, the first day I was getting calls from Men's Health, USA Today, you know, big publications saying, yo, like, yes, this. And I think it's because men, athletically minded men specifically, were taught for whatever reason, man, that it's okay to cry before and after a game, win or lose. But that's it. And that's bullshit. <laughs> um, but that was me, yeah. 100%. And what I learned through this process is that men want to be vulnerable, you know, but nobody's really teaching us how to do it. So what I hope this film does. And what I believe it has done is we it, we got lucky. I mean, it's played all over the globe. You know, it's been on Delta flights. It's been playing in Australia, New Zealand. It just aired in Italy a couple months ago. Um, it keeps selling, uh, obviously, in the States. I just think it, when you watch it, it forces you, if you watch it with a loved one, to have a conversation. And if you don't, it nudges you to call them and ask them a question you don't know the answer to. And that, to me... Um, if it continues to do that, then it's not, it's not really about my dad and I anymore. It's about can, can, that, can that continue to create and curate and cultivate conversation around the globe? Yeah, well, I think it definitely did that. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually going tomorrow, just coincidentally, um, flying and we have like a family gathering. So, you know, I'm excited to see my dad now. Um, but, you know, if you go back to like 15 years ago or whenever when um, you're sitting with Pete and he asks like, you know, what you want to do and you... I forget exactly what you said, but something about like having a major impact on the world. That's what you're. That's what you're doing right now. Um, probably not in the way that you thought you would, but you know that that type of you know creativity and certainly the vulnerability both you and your dad and courage. Uh, you know is is inspiring people. So I thought I just thought it was really cool um, and wanted to touch on it and, and definitely want to recommend that to uh, to anyone out there listening. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all doing it, you know, like, I think that as you're, as I'm around sports, I do this quarterback competition called the Elite 11, which is like American Idol for high school sports or high school quarterbacks. And what I've learned the most is in the last few years, anxiety and depression and self-esteem are, are real things and real thoughts. And I, th I think that all of us, you know, what I told Pete was I want to influence the world in a really cool way. And 
that world for some people may be their babies or their coworkers or their barista, or it may be a million listeners on a Saturday in college football uh, or people on this po- listening to this podcast. And I think that awareness is, is really vital to growth of our community. I mean, look what's happening in the world right now. You know, people are having dark days based on their beliefs or based on what we read or what we see. So as simple as, hey, how you doing? And then a follow up with, tell me the best part of your day. You know, you're having a massive impact on somebody. I had a coach the other day call me and he said, I decided to, every time I see somebody with a military garb on, I'm going to go ask them about their day in an airport. I was like, that is awesome. And he called me after the first one. He goes, I was so nervous, but I did it, man. I did it. Like I went up to him, but I, and I, and he made the guy's day. And I think that's the point of like, my mom told me this when I was a kid, there's no small roles, only small actors. And I believe that, you know, there's no small roles and impact in the world. Some people have larger platforms like TV stars, movie stars, politicians, uh, athletes, but we all have the same role in this in the same gig and uh i i I really buy into that and i think that's been a transformation over 10 15 years of wanting to be on the biggest and grandest of stages to knowing that whatever stage i'm on whether it's in my house or whether it's on the sideline or in a studio i got to keep bringing me you know so let's let's do the work to be the best version of that And, and that's a work in progress but but a really fun one I just love the the values um, that you have and the perspective that you bring, and I think it's um, you know timing wise about about time to wrap up. I thought that was you know, I think that's a good way to to close it out. I mean, the last question I'd have is just like you know any last words that you have for the audience here, you know, hungry millennials that you know are, are trying to get one percent better, and then you know where can we find you uh, on social? Where can we find you know my life in a walk, or maybe find you on on the Pac twelve network? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for the convo, man. It's been fun. I think, I think the biggest thing I would tell people is a version of what I said earlier. Goal in life is to give everything away, right? You don't die with anything. So give it all away. But to give something away, you got to go get it. You got to go seek out experiences, conversations, knowledge, books. And my friend Kevin Carroll says he's about books, balls, and betterment. And I love that phrase. Um, another one I've hijacked for sure. Uh, but the idea being, uh, seek out information and then give it away. However it is you want to give it away, give it away. Uh, because you don't, we don't leave with anything. So that's what I'd leave your, your audience with. Uh, and then for me, hit me up on Twitter at Yogi Roth or any social platform. It's at Yogi Roth. Uh, I got a lot of fun content. It's curated on YouTube. Um, got some fun stuff coming out with Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, some, some fun stuff that I think people enjoy around leadership and betterment. Um, and then my podcast, Life Without Limits, uh, some really cool convos coming out. I just interviewed Chris Bricard, who, uh, if you're on Instagram, you know him. He's probably the most famous uh, photographer on Instagram. Um, just an awesome path. Uh, him, I just interviewed Meta World Peace. I got some cool ones coming out over the next couple weeks. So uh, check that out. And, and of course, let me know where I can get better, man. Great feedback is always welcome. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. Everyone check him out and um, we'll be back next week with another interview. All right. Later, bro. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to that interview with Yogi Roth. Hope you liked it. I thought there's a ton of value that he put out there. Uh, my top three things really quick were uh, enjoying the space between the notes, being whether it's 15 minutes, 
to get a workout in or it's a month-long trip to Italy or wherever, um, you know, being able to enjoy that and when there's time in between what you're doing. Um, you know, the stapler rule, unbelievable. 19 years old, he's, he's talking to Pete Carroll and, you know, he determined, you know, he's get decides he's going to be the best stapler around. It's awesome. Um, how you do small things is how you do all things. And, um, you know, the last one is just seek and enjoy. I love that mantra. You know, we're all seekers. I'm seeking, you know, a, a lot of things in my life, whether it's professionally or personally or health-wise or relationships. And enjoying the process of going through the ups and downs and the heartaches that come from it and everything. So I loved having Yogi on. I thought he, I think he brings a really great perspective from, uh, you know, the football world, from the documentary, from the traveling, all that stuff. He just knows himself really well. So thanks for listening. TomAlamo.com. Hit me on social media, Tommy Tahoe. Um, let me know what you think of the show. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Would love to hear from you. Um, until next week, out.